close out this little section. It's verses 11 and 12 tonight, only two chapter or two verses, excuse me, to go through in this chapter. Um, before we get started, I was uh, thinking about this. Um, who, who here actually uses Rotten Tomatoes to make like movie decisions? Does anybody do that? Like, you know what I'm talking about when I say Rotten Tomatoes? The critic, the critics. No, do you not trust them? You say no, like you don't trust them. You go in blind. Oh, that's it. okay. So that's like a surprise. Like, ooh, just don't know what you're gonna get into. Some people, Rotten Tomatoes. You do use them. You do you trust them? You, not the audience score, but the critic score. You do. You know, it's interesting. I I did some research on Rotten Tomatoes, and I was like, who in the world are the people that actually are the critics for all these movies? Because um, some of them I disagree with wholeheartedly, and then there's others where I'm like, yeah, spot on. That was a great movie. You nailed it. You gave it like a 98% on the tomato meter, and it's totally worth it. It's a good movie. And then there's others where I'm like, man, I don't know why you thought that was good. It was trash. You know, so it's all, all, all an opinion thing. But I was looking up Rotten Tomatoes. In order to be a critic on their website, you have to put out content, whether that's a podcast, whether that is a website or blog or a Twitter or Instagram feed, and you have to have a certain amount of followers. Now, this sounds like a lot to have about 10,000 followers and post content. If you do a podcast, you have to do at least two a month. That's really not that bad and have 10,000 subscribers. You know, you could probably hire some people who do these, like, fake computer things in, like, um, especially in other countries like Russia where they just send and, like, get fake accounts to follow you and you can bolster your numbers. You could be, you too could be a Rotten Tomatoes critic. So all these people who have little to no experience, but they have a bunch of people who listen to them, can sign up to be a critic, and then they can tell you how much they like or dislike a movie, and then, do you ever watch, like, on a preview or, like, in the commercials, the movies tell you how good of a Rotten Tomatoes score they give you. So it's a big deal, right? Like, you realize, like, this is a big deal based on opinions of people who are actually not professionals in the field, I started to then Google, because, you know, Google is where you have to go for all your answers. Um, I Googled, what does it take to become a movie critic, an actual movie critic, like somebody who, that is your profession. Here's some of the things I found. Number one, obtain a film degree from an art school. That might be a good idea. You want to talk about film or movie? You might want to get a degree in it. Study the film industry. I think that goes with the degree. Um, have good writing skills. Build a portfolio, so maybe you have to get hired at like a local paper or website or news media outlet or something. And then you have to gain real life experience. So all those things have to go into becoming an actual movie critic. None of which you have to actually become a Rotten Tomatoes critic. Isn't that funny? Like the number one movie rating website right now and the one that everybody uses, you don't have to have any of these things to become an actual critic on their website. I think that's funny. I think it's really interesting. Here's the thing. In the day and age that we live in right now, Every single person is a critic. Everyone adopts the, the, the role of a critic. When I was growing up, this is, again, before the interwebs, okay? And so movie reviews were actually done in these things called newspapers. We, what? What is, a news, what is a newspaper? That was the best response I could have gotten from that statement. Yeah, a newspaper. And there were these two dudes, Siskel and Ebert, okay? Two guys, as a kid, I just knew their names. But you know why I knew their names? Because they trademarked the phrase, two thumbs up. They give a movie a two thumbs up. That meant it was really, really good. These two old guys made up this slogan, and then people trusted them for movie-going things. 
But nowadays, you don't have to go to the newspaper, Maddie. You can go to Instagram. You can go to Twitter. You can go to Snapchat. You can go to all these other things. And guess what? Everybody has an opinion, and now everybody has a platform. Everybody gets to say what they think is good, what they think is bad, what they think is funny, what they think is dumb, what they think is really dark and scary, what they think is really not that bad. Everybody's a critic. And I think we have really become a hypercritical people. We are so quick to point out the flaws in everybody around us. In fact, we are professional fault finders. We're going to get to that in a second. But, but criticism is something that we are so good at as people. In church, people are really good about being critical. You know how I know that? Because guaranteeably, if you walk out of a church service on a Sunday... Somebody somewhere, especially in a church our size, somebody somewhere has a comment about the music. And usually it's on the negative, not the positive, criticism. Oftentimes, I will tell you, the criticism that I have when I walk out of church typically has to do with Pastor Pastor Wops? Pastor, whoa, okay. Pastor Rob's wardrobe. It was a lot of R's and W's. That's why I did that. Uh, I have a running joke with Pastor Jason. We talk about his wardrobe choices, and we we crack jokes. But we're critical of it in a way. Everybody's critical. And now you all have platforms to be critics, and you can even gather followings. Some of them can be bigger than some of these people um, who are on Rotten Tomatoes. You can become an influencer just by solely getting people to think that your opinion matters. Everyone is a critic. There's a problem with that problem is is that in James chapter 4, that's not how we are to live as people of Christ. He has just finished going through a segment of of the chapter where he talks about humbling yourself, submitting yourself to God, resisting the devil, and drawing near to God. And he again ends with chapter, the verse prior to our passage tonight in verse 10 by saying, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. He wants to keep that in the forefront of your minds. And I want you to think about that. Humility is the mark of the Christian. That is how a Christian, a true, God-fearing, Jesus-following person is humble first, okay? Keep that in your mind as you read what he's going to then tell us as humble people how we are then to act towards one another. And again, this book, in the book of James, has had so much discussion about the way that we talk with one another. That tonight's no different. It's another reminder about the way that we speak to one another. All right? So, with that in mind, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The way that another translation says it, I like this. It says, don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law... You are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? I want to make something really clear about this so we don't get this twisted up. When James is speaking about don't be critical of other people and not judging other people, what he's talking about is not people who are struggling in different areas of their life. Don't criticize and judge them. But that does not exclude, or that that is not to say that if there are people in your life who are consistently, unrepentantly sinning, like they are choosing to sin, and they choose over and over, and you gently confront them and try to win them back and tell them the things that they're doing are destructive or wrong or, or wicked or against God's will, after that, if they continue to choose to do that, 
That's not what he's trying to apply to those type of people. Because he's not saying you should overlook unrepentant sin. Unrepentant sin will be the death of people. It literally will be the end of them. And we are not to overlook that. We are to address that in love and in kindness and gentleness. But what he's talking about is generally when people just make mistakes. I mean, raise your hand. Who's made a mistake today? Every hand better go up or you just made your first one. There you go. Good job. You all passed. Yeah, everybody makes a mistake, right? And, and here's the thing is that we like it when other people make mistakes because guess what? It makes our mistakes feel a little smaller. We don't mind it when they make mistakes because then it makes me feel like, oh, man, my mess up wasn't that bad compared to that one. So we like that a little bit. Well, there's a part of us, and that sounds really kind of sick and twisted, but we kind of enjoy when people make mistakes because then it makes us feel a little less like we are a failure. The reason why... James is talking about this is because the humility in us that if we are following Christ and that humbles us underneath the lordship of Jesus and we submit to him and say, man, you are the king, you are in charge of my life, I'm going to follow you and do whatever you tell me to do, that type of humility will breed holiness in our lives. It will bring about holy living. And in this chapter, really, you could go back to Leviticus 19. I know it's a book of the Bible that a lot of you guys probably don't spend a lot of time studying uh, unless you're doing like a Bible reading plan and you're in like February and you get to Leviticus and you're like, okay, here we go. We're going to try and make it through this. Um, but Leviticus 19 is actually a lot of where James chapter 4 kind of gets a lot of life out of. And I want to just read a couple verses out of Leviticus 19 for you. In verses 1 and 2, you probably would recognize some of these verses, but it says, The Lord spoke to Moses... And he said, speak to the entire Israelite community and tell them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's the beginning of the chapter. The rest of the chapter goes on to talk about how you and I interact with one another. And rules that God has and has designed for us to follow in order to love one another and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Which is like the culmination of chapter 19. So the whole goal of this is for you and I to love each other well. And if we can do that well, then we are going to be living in holiness because God himself is holy. And so that's what he's striving after, us to treat each other with holiness and respect. But I want to hone in on verses 16 through 18, which I think are on the screen behind me as well. In that chapter, God says this to the people. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not jeopardize your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not harbor hatred against your brother. Rebuke your neighbor directly, and you will not incur guilt because of him. A lot of things in that passage. Don't go spreading slander, false news among your people. Don't jeopardize your neighbor's life. Do you realize that if you spread lies or gossip or slander about somebody, the Bible thinks that you are in jeopard, you're jeopardizing their life. What he's getting at is you're actually jeopardizing their reputation, which for some people is the thing that they need to hold on to the most. I mean, nowadays, I, I, I said this a while ago, you know, reputation matters. And your reputation, like your online reputation matters. Like some of you guys who are seniors, right? Like you guys are going to be heading off to college and then eventually jobs and stuff. I mean, if you have an online reputation where people, like future employers can dig back in your social media and look at what you're doing and they have a bad view of you, that could really mess up anything, any hope you have for a future in that job field. Some colleges have gone back and dug up stuff on people and stopped them from coming to their school, right? So your reputation matters. And scripture is saying, don't go spreading slander among people about others because you could jeopardize their life. You're really messing with their potential livelihood. 
Don't harbor hatred against your brother. Rebuke him directly. Here's the one that I think we are messing up so much, and our phones have really killed this in us. When we have problems with people, we either, A, don't discuss it with them, and we harbor it in our hearts. We, d- we bury it, and we act like nothing is wrong. And I think that's, like a, that's a thing in us where we don't want to deal with the conflict or we just don't want to deal with the person. Either way. And so we have this hatred that's buried deep in our hearts. And, and we don't then either, A, address it, we just hold on to it, or B, we don't address it to them directly. We don't approach the person. We have a problem with a person, but you know who we go to? We go to somebody else. And we talk to that person about this person's problem that you have with them. In both cases, God's saying, that's wrong. Don't do that. You can't do that. You'll incur guilt on yourself. Humility breeds holiness, and we can't be critical people, which got me to thinking, critics are supposed to be the experts in their field, right? Like, if you're an expert food critic. That means like you should probably have like a culinary arts degree and know how to cook food really well so that you know what things are supposed to taste like and how things are supposed to be cooked. If you're a film critic, you should have a film degree, right? You should be an expert in whatever field you're critiquing. I wonder what you're an expert in. And I don't mean like, oh, I'm an expert video game player, my man. I'm an expert eater. Like I can eat some food. I would say that if you guys look at my lifestyle, I'm pretty close to being an expert Chick-fil-A tester. Like, I'm pretty sure I know the ins and outs and the facets of every little thing on that menu because I've eaten everything on the menu a lot, sometimes multiple times a week. So I feel like I'm kind of close. But I want to ask, which one are you an expert in? Are you an expert in finding the weaknesses of those people who are around you? Or are you an expert in looking at their strengths? Are you an expert at just nitpicking, finding every little flaw, every time they stumble, every time they make a mistake? Are you an expert at picking that up? Or are you an expert at looking at the strengths that a person has in their life, the good things about them, the things that God has gifted them for, the things that they are able to do? Which one are you an expert in? I think it's really easy to be an expert the weaknesses of those around us, right? Because again, that feeds a little bit of something in us. There's a pastor named R. Kent Hughes. He said this about this passage. He said, most people think it's okay to convey negative information if it's true. We understand that lying is immoral, but is passing along damaging truth immoral? So he's asking a question. If you think this is too wordy, I'll try and break it down for you. He says, most people think it's okay to Say something negative about somebody if it's true. Because it's true, that means it's not wrong to talk about it. But it's negative information about them. It may not be encouragement. It may not be the person be in the room. But, you know, you're having a conversation about somebody and you're critiquing their life or how they are going about living. Most people would say if it's true, it's not wrong. We know that if it's false information, then we shouldn't do it. That's immoral. But this guy goes on to say that might not be the case according to what scripture is defining here in James chapter 4. He says, what is done in the name of exposing truth? I'm just trying to get the truth out there, man. I'm just trying to be a truth teller. With the goal of undermining someone's character is actually an expression of slander, which is the word in the Greek that is used in these verses we're looking at tonight, slander. Let me say that again. Sometimes the goal of undermining somebody's character, even if you're telling the truth about that person, is an expression of slander. By saying something negative about the way that they're living, 
is slandering them. You're trying, to, you're trying to undermine their character. Again, I'm not talking about like grievous sin issues in their life that they have not repented of. and that they're, But I'm talking about like you are nitpicking wisdom issues or ways that they live their life or choices that they make that you go, I wouldn't do that. And you, you fault find and you, you nitpick and you say those things to other people about them to lower them. That's an expression of slander. Which scripture is trying to say in James chapter 4 verse 11 do not be critical of your brothers and sisters. Don't be sitting there always criticizing them. Yes, they are making a mistake. That is absolutely true. I'm not saying you don't recognize that the, what they're doing is wrong. But what I am saying is that that is not your job to sit there and play armchair quarterback and be like, yeah, 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 yeah they're not doing it right. Yeah, 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 they could do, do that better. Yeah, 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 that band up there, they put, should have picked these three songs instead of the three songs they did uh, this last Sunday because those were such garbage. The melody was all wrong, man, or the vocals were all We don't need to be critical. We don't need to criticize our fellow believers in Christ. You don't need to continually tear down those who are in the family of God with you. Here's what I mean. I, I call these people fault finders. I, I, I know there are a lot of these types of people in our world, but they're professional fault finders. And what they are constantly doing is they, every, you, you'll know these people, right? You probably have some of these people in your life. They're the people who every time you talk to them, they've got something negative to say, right? It's always like, man, did you see what happened there? That's messed up. That's wrong. Overly critical of everything that's going on. It's always negative. There's never anything good going on in their world, right? Their world is constantly just falling apart and broken, and everybody in their orbit seems to just be a, a, a target for their criticism. That's really difficult to live with those type of people. It's really hard to deal with them because constantly they're just tearing down the world around you. And I know that there's brokenness. I see it. You see it. But if we spend all our time just looking at all the cracks and the brokenness in our world, what are we left with? You're not seeing any of the good that God is trying to show you, any of the beauty that he has created in his creation. See, here's the problem. Professional fault finders, here are three things that ends up happening to them. Number one, their fault finding enlarges their view of themselves because by, by pointing out the flaws of others, they're making everybody else seem small and they're like, my opinion rises to the top because, again, they are putting themselves above everybody else. Number two, they destroy their love for others. What I mean by this is that if you are around a person who's constantly critical, always picking out things that are going on in other people's lives, what ends up happening is they have a really hard time loving people that don't act or think like them. So when somebody has a difference of opinion, they have a really hard time loving them or really hard time respecting them because they're constantly looking and criticizing everything they're doing and finding the faults in their way of thinking and their way of living, their way of viewing the world. And it's an opinion. It's not an actual sin issue. It's an opinion issue. These are fault-finding people. They end up destroying their love for the world because they can only love people who think, talk, and act like them. And the last one is they, they end up contradicting the cross. This is, this is the scariest one. People who are constantly fault-finding, they are not doing what Jesus accomplished at the cross. At the cross, all of your faults were taken and they were thrown away, never to be brought back up again. Consistently, professional fault-finders, what they do is they say, yeah, 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 that's forgiven, 
And then a couple days later, they come back and they dig that back up and throw it in your face. Or they remind you of, man, remember that time? That's, that does not, that's not how Jesus works. And that's not how Christians are supposed to treat other Christians, where we, we continue to dig up the past and find all the criticism that we can, and we throw that in their face at the opportune time. That is not how Jesus worked, and it's not how we are to work either. And so that's what ends up happening. If you become a critic, and you just want to criticize everybody around you, and you're constantly negative, this is ending up, this is kind of the road you're heading down. You're blowing up your ego, you're destroying your love for people that are acting or have a different way of thinking than you, and you end up contradicting the cross. That's nothing I want to be. I don't want to be that type of person. I don't think any of us want to be either. Here's the last one, and this comes out of verse 12. Professional fault finders end up becoming rogue judges who stand above or over the law. This is what James says in verse 12. He says, actually I'll start in the last half of 11. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? This, this is the thing. God is the only one who establishes the law, and he's the only one who gets to judge people according to it. You know why? Because he's the only one who's kept the law perfectly. If you go back to James chapter 1, we talked about this, that if anybody stumbles in any portion of the law, he is therefore guilty of breaking the entire law. Therefore, if any of us have ever made a mistake, then we have broken God's law, right? Automatically, if that happens, that means that we are no longer able to judge others according to the law. You can't make yourself a judge of a law that you yourself can't even uphold. It doesn't work like that. And that's what happens with people who are constantly critical. They get this heart where they think that they are above the law and they can now look down and judge other people. And that is not their job. It is the job of God alone. He is the one who establishes the law and he holds people accountable to it. That's why it says that he alone is the one who can save people, but he's also the one that can condemn them and destroy them. He's in charge. You are not. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but you are a judge. That's not who you're meant to be. That's not who you're called to be. What I would love to see happen, and, and, and I, I long for this, and I think now we're, we're in a place in, in our time now, just being honest, like COVID stuff is, is kind of on the back burner for most people now. I'm not saying it's done. I'm not trying to make a political statement saying, oh, yeah, just burn all the other COVID stuff, return to life as normal. I know that this disease is still around. But if you look at most things, even the cities who were the strictest, right, are opening back up. They're dropping their mandates and all that. So here's the deal. We're getting back to the world as we kind of understood it with people gathering in spaces pre-COVID. We're getting back to that now. So that now, as a person who is in church all the time, I start to think, okay, what does that mean for our church and churches? That means is is that we should not have these excuses anymore where people are like, oh, I'm not going to come to church in person anymore. We don't need to worry about people stressing about large groups anymore, okay? I I know there's going to be some stress about that. Again, just hear me. I'm just making a statement on should we now start to look and see how can we go back to filling up the places where we gather with people so that they can hear the gospel? 
that means for you guys, like, and I said this to you when I first started here with you guys two and a half years ago, is the only way that this room continues to fill up is by you guys doing the work of talking to people you know and inviting them. Listen, I can invite people all day long, but it's going to be your relationship with them that's going to draw them in to hear the gospel. And I don't just mean just to hear a message. I mean to get connected in this place so they can grow in their relationship with Christ. Maybe some of them get saved for the very first time. But you know how that's going to happen? That's only going to happen if we take back and we grab back this critical culture. It's only going to happen if you guys set the tone and you're not overly critical of one another. You're not constantly poking fun or nitpicking all the little imperfections and flaws in your friends that are in this room. Or the people who you don't even really know that well, but you're not constantly picking at it. If you're overly critical, if this becomes a place where people feel like when they walk in those doors, man, they're always consistently judging me. They're always nitpicking every little thing. They have strong opinions about things and they just stick to their thing and they don't open up the door for other people's ideas about things. Again, I'm not talking about sin issues. I'm talking about opinions on things. All right? And if you're constantly being critical, it's going to be really hard to see people gathering in this place, people who have never come in here before. It's going to be really hard. So I want you guys to take back the critical culture. Take it back. Let's, let's get to somewhere that's new. Let's do something where instead of constantly fa- finding faults, man, could you imagine what it would look like if we came together and that when you had a conversation with somebody in here, you, you just started off the conversation by, hey, man, I've really noticed this in you recently. And you say something encouraging about them. Hey, I've really noticed that you've grown a lot since I met you a couple years ago. I don't mean in stature and your height. Maybe you want to compliment their height, like if they were once short and now they're not. Okay, I mean, that's fine. That's a good place to start. But maybe you take the next step and you start to talk about, man, I really feel like you've grown a lot in your relationship with the Lord. Like I've seen you mature. And, and don't do it like backhanded, like you used to be an idiot. Now, like you're a less idiot. No, I mean like, you know, say it, genuinely mean it. Like I really feel like you you want to be here more. I've seen you worship in a different way recently, and it's really encouraged me. Thank you. Listen, if you guys did that, that would be so different from anywhere else, and that right there is going to be the the magnet that draws people in to know who Jesus is. It's going to start there. Practice it with your closest friends. A lot of you guys have close little tight-knit friend groups, right? And you, you roll with about five to six people who you constantly are texting or chatting or, or hanging out with in person. Man, test it on them. Get together and be like, hey, I just want to start off by saying I am just so encouraged by seeing how God's done this in your life lately. That's, that's amazing. And mean it. Because I think that would change the culture. From this overly critical one where everybody's got a hot take and tweets that are mean and mean tweets are hilarious and we laugh about them on late night television shows. Those are awful. What if we had nice things to say about each other and we meant it and we shared it? Wow, what a difference that could make. Game changer. That's what James is telling us. Humble people will do that. People who've been humbled by the cross, that's what they're going to do. I'm going to throw a couple verses at you, and then we'll be done. 1 Peter 4.8. This is where I think this, this idea comes. Peter and James have a lot of similar thoughts on a lot of issues. 1 Peter 4.8 says this. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, 
because love covers a multitude of sins. If you want to know what constant love looks like, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 later tonight and look at what it looks like to love another person. Patience, kindness, doesn't bear evil, doesn't rejoice in suffering, all these things. Just go through 1 Corinthians 13 and you'll see what that word love looks like and why that covers a multitude of sins. It takes back the critical culture. Proverbs 11, 12, and 13 says this, whoever shows contempt for his neighbor lacks sense, but a person with understanding keeps silent. A gossip goes around revealing a secret, but a trustworthy person keeps a confidence. Are you the type of person that people can say things to and you're not going to just go and blab it to everybody? There's a reason why a gossip goes around revealing a secret. You know why? Because when you have sensitive or privileged information, you feel like you hold power. And that power is exciting. And then sometimes sharing that with other people makes you feel important. But a trustworthy person can keep all that to himself and hold it in confidence. That's who you want to be. That's the type of people you guys want to be for each other. Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Here's what that critical person likes to do. That critical person likes to go back and poke the things and the mistakes of somebody's past or things that they have seen done wrong, and they continue to repeat that matter. And what that will do is separate the bonds between close friends. They will dig up something from weeks, months, if you've been friends for longer, years ago, out of the blue. You'll do something wrong, and then all of a sudden they'll go, it's just like when you did this. It's just like when this happened. You haven't learned, have you? You did that before, you're doing it again. That type of thought is not the Christian way of thinking, not the Christian way of dealing with somebody's flaws, because what that does is that separates the bonds between friends. It damages it. But if you can cover an offense, if you can overlook it, you can, you can say, man, I can, I can take that hit. Like, I know what you did may not have been the right thing in this moment, but I can absorb that hit because I know that as a brother and sister in Christ, that the Lord paid for your sin and he's paid for mine. So that sin that you just offended me with has already been paid for by Christ. So I can overlook an offense. Again, maybe, maybe you talk about it when the steam has kind of dialed back a bit. I'm not talking about unrepentant stuff. I'm talking about opinions. I'm talking about issues, small hurts that we do. You can still address them. But don't be the person who repeats a matter over and over and causes that separation. Guys, I, I, I just truly believe that if, if we are going to be the people that God wants us to be, to be humble people, who follow after him. To be people who genuinely are people that others like to be around. Not just in church, just in general. Don't be overly critical. Don't constantly try and find the cracks in their character or their ways of thinking. Nitpicking every little thing they do. It's not a refreshing place to be. You guys want to be those people who people are enjoying to be around. And I again say that if that is the type of culture we can create here and take back this critical culture, get away from it, and we'll, we'll create something here that is special.
that God uses to reach more people with the gospel. And ultimately, that's my heart, and I pray that's your heart too, that we'll reach more people with the gospel because of the way that we treat each other in love. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, just thank you for um, this time, and thank you for these students. So many of them, I know, Lord, desire to, to be more like you. And um, Lord, it, it, there's, just, there's all these areas and these, these edges in our lives that need to be refined, that need to be smoothed over, that need to be um, submitted to you. And God, I just pray that um, things like our criticisms of one another, Lord, we'd submit those to you. And we wouldn't go around just spreading them to other people to listen, to get attention. We wouldn't um, do that just to constantly point out the things in their life that we think are wrong. But God, we would seek instead to cover it with love. We would seek to pray for them. We would seek to encourage them and, and help them, not just leave them in there and pointing out what they've done wrong, but say, okay, I see an issue. How can I help and come alongside? And do that in the most humble way that we can. Not to say, I'm here to fix you. I'm here just to walk alongside you. God, I pray that we would be people like that. I pray that these students would do something so countercultural, so different from the way the world around us looks, that God, that we would be people that other people look at and go, wow, I, I need to know the Savior that they love, the Savior that they're humbly submitted to, because whatever he is like, he changes them. So God, I pray that we would be those types of people. Help us, humble us more, so that we don't act as the judges that preside over others' lives. Lord, you are the ultimate judge. You are the one who is presiding and ruling. You're the only one who people are accountable to. So God, I would just pray that we would entrust ourselves and others to you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Glad you guys